This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hello and welcome to episode 26. Wow, I don't know how we've got that far <laughs> of Brighton Rock. Um, I'm Peter Marsh and I'm joined today by Russ, as usual, and we're rejoined today by Robin, the guest on the show. Welcome back, Robin. Thank you very much, chaps. How are you? Good, thank you. Yeah, you? Yeah, good, good. Yeah, just going slightly insane, like <laughs> everybody else, I'm sure. But... Yeah, sad, sadly, we're doing this episode at three o'clock on Saturday, the time when we should have been at Carrow Road watching Albion struggle to a nil-nil draw when they desperately did the win for promotion. <laughs> um, instead, we're uh, sat at home doing a podcast talking about, again, no, not much live, no live football at all except in Belarus, and I've not been following that. Um, but we're going to be discussing kind of the week, the events of the week, and then following up with our teams of the best and worst teams of the 90s for Albion, which could have some interesting choices, judging by our, uh, our worst ever years were in that time. Mm, indeed. <laughs> um, I'm not even sure the worst ever teams are. I mean, some of the horrendous nightmares we've been reeling off in the uh, the previous episodes of this, I think they're going to be hard to beat, to be honest, aren't they? Yeah. We have got Billingham years in this decade. Yeah, true. that is true. I think I don't think anyone could pay me any amount of money to watch a game between the worst eleven of the two thousands against the worst eleven of the nineties. I, <laughs> I think I we watched quite a lot of that Gillingham anyway. I think that Gillingham. Yeah, exactly. I think even Don now, <laughs> even now with the lack of football on, I don't think I, I don't think even that would tempt me. <laughs> well, absolutely, <laughs> they're not showing. They're not showing it. Um, it live on TV. They've chosen the Ashes instead. I was going to yeah, say. I was just going to say that. I mean, if by some bizarre fluke of nut, nutcasery they'd actually filmed any of that stuff back then, um, it's certainly not something I'll be tuning in to watch even now. With my, my dad no. me of, um, years of lockdown, I, I wouldn't he, do that. My dad mentioned the other day that he'd seen reference to um, Sudbury Football Club, which took me back to that game I was seeing in, in the last year at the Goldstone, I think it was, and uh, which yeah. I went away to Sudbury. And I was trying to find somehow find the teams from that game, but. It, it wasn't available online. What I did see was that some advertising for a while ago on North Stand Chat, someone had a video of the game, it looked like. Oh, wow. <laughs> what? Make, Earth a, make that and B, purchase it. It's beyond me. But they were offering for £1.50, which didn't seem a great deal. That's yeah. some kind of completed somewhere, isn't it? That's, that's nuts. <laughs> that is nuts. That, that is crazy stuff. But, uh, yeah. yeah no. a programme from it as well. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm all for looking back through the archives and seeing things for nostalgic reasons, good and bad, but I think there's a limit to that. Yeah, isn't there is a limit. <laughs> yeah, there's a public health issue, isn't there, at some point, we just think. <laughs> Why someone no. recorded it, to be honest, let alone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I used to have a load of stuff I videoed back in the day on sort of local news, because the 90s was a weird decade for me. I didn't really go to games as frequently as I have done in previous times before or since. Because um, I was working on Saturdays a lot. I was at uni for three years, 
college uh, weekend jobs all sorts so it's a bit of a, like a patchy record for me but what I do remember doing is being in Southampton where we we're still in the same TV region and having a load of stuff unfolding in the war years or the beginning of that horrible period and recording all the footage because we were getting far more attention than we usually did on southern t- yeah what, what, what was it called southeast today or whatever yeah it was. tonight or whatever it was yeah. yeah which was basically Hampshire tonight wasn't it really with yeah pretty much yeah but um yeah it's gonna be interesting chatting about that one later on guys isn't it um there's been, been quite a bit in the news isn't there i mean started we had the last podcast on sunday when i spoke to amir uh, which i really enjoyed that was great having you on amir if you're listening um but we've had quite a bit going on i think it started on sunday with west brom's ceo announcing he'll be taking a 100 percent pay cut for the duration of the lockdown. I'm not sure if anyone else has done that so far uh, to that extent. Um, other senior management following suit to some degree. Um, we then have Wayne Rooney, didn't we, criticising the pressure that had been put on the Premier League players in relation to that row between Knight and Hancock and Neville and Townsend and so on, um, which was interesting. And obviously a lot's gone on since in terms of player announcements. Um, and, I mean, the one good thing was that there was a bit of positive news about James McLean. Did you hear that? Um, he's donating some personal protective equipment to health workers in his home city, Derry. So there we go. At least he's done something decent there. He's probably someone who needs a bit of, like, protection from, like, the rabid crowds attacking him quite a lot of the time. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, the main stuff was obviously, like, there's been, there's been a lot of talk about what the players are going to do. Um, we've had an announcement, haven't we? I mean, they've, they've not agreed on the 30% that was being proposed um, for across-the-board pay cut, but they've introduced something. What was it called again? Players Together, wasn't it? Yeah, something like that, isn't it? Yeah, so what's all that about, guys? Any idea? I mean, I think it's them, them basically organising to divert funds to the NHS and to NHS charities and other organisations that are associated with with what's going on at the moment. Hmm. Yeah. It's difficult. I mean, I find as it's obviously it's admirable that they're giving that they're, you know, they're diverting, they're diverting a, you know, a good, good chunk of revenue towards that. But sort of, you've got the, you've got the club angle on the other side, which is it doesn't necessarily help the clubs as a whole, which is the others. I know, which is the sort of slightly, obviously not as serious as, you know, trying to keep, people alive in the nhs but you know from a footballing point of view it's we are running the risk of a lot of clubs even at premier league level being really deep in in financial trouble and you know diverting income from the players to the nhs is an absolutely brilliant thing i'm not knocking that at all but on the other hand um it doesn't necessarily help to alleviate the financial issues that clubs are facing that's Mm -hmm. me playing devil's advocate slightly um but yeah, that's that's those are my thoughts on it. Yeah, I'm hoping that they'll do both. So they will take the pay yeah. cut and talked about, and then also as a separate thing, donate what they they feel. Yeah. They should. Um, I know Paul Paul Barber's mentioned that a lot of the Albion players have already done th- and things off their own back. You know, donating to the NHS and various other bits and pieces. And I'm sure players at lots of other Premier League clubs have done that. And he made the point that this was, wasn't something that the club had had organised or pushed them to do. They'd all done it. You know, sort of. I don't know if, if a you know, I don't know if a senior player has organised it or, or what. But the club is isn't an official thing that the club have have organised. So I imagine players have already done quite a lot of that sort of thing already. 
and a lot of players will want to do things back home maybe as well rather than necessarily yeah absolutely they'll they'll have family in you know where from from where from where they're from and want to kind of support that area maybe rather than yeah i mean i saw pep guardiola gave a million euros i think to support um in catalonia to support the effort there so exactly and obviously he i think he lost he lost his mother this week i think he to coronavirus he did yeah yeah, that's um, great. Mm. But yeah, I think you're right, Pete. There are there are going to be players. I guess some of the Italian players will probably want to want to push some money towards Italy, and I guess some of the French players as well. Similarly, mm. um, I think you know I don't think anyone's. I've not seen any suggestions really that players this week aren't really you know dragging their weight. I think it's just more <laughs> that there seems to be different opinions about how best you know the financial stuff should be handled, and it's very difficult. You know, that's, it's an, often an impossible choice, isn't it, really? Because yeah. if you give money to the, you know, if you give money to the NHS, someone's going to be upset that you've not taken a pay cut, you've not given money to somebody else. So. There's, no, there's no obvious yeah. answer, but I think it has to be said for football players and fans alike and everyone, if clubs don't survive this whole experience, the episode, this whole whatever, whatever you want to call it, then there won't be any place, players to hire them. So they have to probably look at... You know, pay yeah, exactly at all. Levels, they have to, although obviously at lower levels they much less able to afford it. But in a way, the club needs it much more. So it's a, it's a... yeah, that, and that was my point. I was trying to be. I wasn't trying to be sort of be insensitive about it. I was just yeah. It was more exactly that the clubs. We are in a situation where a lot of clubs. You know, if, if this if this carries on, you know, into into the start of next year or or even beyond, there's going to be a lot of clubs. I mean, I think if it was to carry on into the beginning of next year and beyond, you'd be looking at the majority of clubs probably below the championship not being in existence in the EFL. I agree. And even the Premier League ones must be in danger of coming to that far. Certainly. Without any income, you know, you're relying basically on, you know, kind of your owners to to hold it together, keep it going. Yeah, because, I mean, the the TV bubble has, has essentially burst in that no one is paying, well, very few people are now paying to subscribe to sky or bt at the moment because obviously they those providers have allowed people to freeze their you know to freeze their contracts so the Mm. the bubble has temporarily burst in that there is no money coming in from the tv companies and there isn't going to be any money coming in from the tv companies until we have a resumption of of football i would guess yeah i think in french tv i think they've they've obviously they've They've pulled funding for the time being until the season resumes. But um, I think they haven't made payments. They're actually due already to clubs over there. Yeah, this has gone bust. Big well, in effect, yeah. it's gone bust. Yeah. So it's difficult. I mean, that's, that's the whole thing. I mean, the fact that you're suddenly, all of your revenue streams have dried up. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we, we, you know, we reference for the EFL clubs and, and below, the fact that match day revenue has obviously stopped totally. Hmm. And the fact that you're, you've lost your TV money as well. Yeah. So there is no there is no money coming in. Yeah, and, I think and you're still was... paying out millions. You know, you're still paying out, you know, several million quid a month. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even just maintenance of buildings and all that sort of stuff. All yeah. of that up alone, just let alone all the staffing costs and other other things. Um, it's it's tough, isn't it? And they said Brighton may lose. Was it twenty nine point seven million? Over, yeah, we'd have to we'd if, have to hand that back as well if we write off the season. That is, yeah, yeah, we'd have to. Position where we're owned by a fan, and I don't see any way that you know Tony Tony Bloom, I assume, will cover it because 
you know, it's kind of... Yeah, that's just what he does. <laughs> exactly. He's done it for so many years anyway, and he's done so much for the club, there's no way he's going to let it, anything happen to him. But... I mean, I suppose the other, the other, the, the, the slightly sort of, not worrying, but the slightly sort of negative side of that is, I suppose we don't necessarily know what impact this situation is having on his other business interests. Mm-hmm. True. And how much money he's necessarily going to have. I mean, I'm not suggesting that he's in danger of, you know, being in, in severe financial trouble himself, but we don't know, again, because it's quite mysterious, you know, exactly what, you know, the extent of all of his businesses and what they do. We just know that there are quite a lot of them, but we don't know, you know, what impact he's, the, the crisis is going to have on that, how much money, mm. you know, he's potentially, you might might lose from, from what else is going on. So I think it's, I think even, I don't think any Premier League club beyond probably Man United, Man City. I mean, I'm talking the big kind of commercial giants that probably will still keep bringing in money somehow just because they're so vast. Beyond that, I mean, I think every Premier League club, if this, you know, the maximum they say this could continue would be 18 months. Seemingly, mm. until it, the, the, you know, until we get a vaccine, that could be that could be eighteen months. Let's take that as the worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. If this was to go on for eighteen months, I would say most Premier League clubs would probably go to the wall as well. Yeah, absolutely. That is a long time without getting any any revenue of any. Yeah, and, I mean, I don't think it's going to. I mean, that's that's just what's been quoted as inverted commas the worst case. I don't yeah. think necessarily it's. I think there would probably be some sort of resumption behind closed doors before then which would then facilitate tv money coming in yeah. potentially even more tv money because obviously everyone would subscribe because you'd have no other way of watching the games hmm. but if it, if it technically if it lasted that long premier league clubs could be the, almost the first to go in a way because they've got the biggest expenditure by miles and that's yeah. cut by this huge tv deal that won't be in existence so yeah so i think that's why they're pro- they'll be pushing for but they'll be pushing for games i'd imagine behind the scenes they'll be pushing for games to be played behind closed doors yeah. just simply so they can get the TV deal, you know, back up and running. Because, yeah, yeah I mean, the yeah. That that's gone. For lower league clubs will really struggle with behind closed doors because they won't get the crowd. Yeah. That's where they get exactly. Everything. There's no exactly. point them playing it behind closed yeah. doors, really. Especially with such a deluge of games that will be played all kind of on staggered timings. I mean, they, they were saying they were, trying to, they were trying to finish, they reckon they could finish the EFL season in 56 days or something. But a yeah, lot of clubs, have, the clubs have got like ten. I think in the championship, clubs have got ten or eleven games left. Yeah. So you're yeah. looking at a game every. You're looking at a game every. Yeah, you're looking at playing three games a week. Really, I mean, not played for four, five, four months potentially, five months at that point. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that, I mean it's that's difficult. what the non-leagues are like, isn't it? Sometimes three games yeah, a week. Yeah, Barnet. I mean, Barnet had loads of games called off, so they'd be like in in real trouble in that sense. What what, what confused me? I don't know how. In some cases, they can play behind closed doors in some grounds because there are some grounds that are really easy to. You know, it's not like enclosed grounds like the Amex. It's fine. You just shut everything off. And but there are some grounds where I'm sure people will try and break into while there'll be games on or whatever. Well, that was the other. That was the other thing that we 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 spoke about a couple of weeks ago on what on the WhatsApp group was that even if you play games behind closed doors you're going to have potentially large groups of fans just turning up to be outside the ground and congregate together. Yeah. It would have to be but, at an undisclosed location, I think, really, when it comes well, to I mean, things they like... Said, didn't they say they were thinking about it doing... They were thinking about doing it, like, in the Midlands. Yeah. yeah. Like, basically, like, congregating all clubs in the Midlands and essentially almost playing the games at training grounds. Hmm. 
yeah. where, there's, where there's no public access, really. Because anything that involves winning a title, um, qualifying for Europe, maybe, getting promotion, there's going to be crowds that are going to be wanting to get together there. And yeah. wherever they are, even if it's and just... That- that just defeats the point. Yeah. 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 Liverpool need to win the, the game to win the title. Liverpool fans not gathering together somewhere. To yeah, win. exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the other thing, that they, the point they made, which is even if you play it behind closed doors, you've still got, you're still going to be putting pressure on the NHS because you're still going to have to have medical support at the grounds. You're still going to have, yeah. to have ambulances. You know, if a player gets a broken leg, he's still going to go to hospital and yeah. he's still taking, in theory, you're still taking resources away from the NHS at a time when they might still be, you know, deeply under pressure. Yeah, that's a very good point. There's all, there's all and, sorts and of... Them out too. Yeah, and you've still got the police, you obviously you've still got the aspect of if you've got lots of people that are, if they're worried that people are going to turn up outside stadiums, you're still then going to have to have a policing element to it as well, which is then taking the police away from potentially policing other, you know, other issues of the social isolation. Mm. So it's I mean, on the crowd with difficulty, really. On, on the crowd gathering factor, maybe when there's a decisive thing like Liverpool going for a title winning match, maybe they don't tell you which day it's being played either. So you can't congregate in advance for it. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think obviously they, they'd stagger it. I think they'd have to stagger it so that basically every game would be on TV. Mm. Yeah. I think we talked about this last time. You'd basically, you'd have to have like, you'd have to have sort of four or five kicks. I mean, with no crowds, you could start a game at nine in the morning. Yeah. I guess so you, so. Could, you could comfortably have like you could actually have probably five, five or six slots throughout the day. So you could hmm. actually have a situation where every single game is is televised. If you're playing, if you're staggering games over, and again with no crowds, you could play them on a Monday morning at nine a.m. Yeah, that's true. It could be any time, couldn't it? Really, I mean, people, everyone's at home, aren't they? I mean, if you work, yeah. basically everyone's working from home. Yeah, you can have reruns as well for anyone that does basically, yeah. work as well. Yeah. yeah. So I think hmm. that's that would be the way they'd have to that would be the only way they could offset the T V yeah. situation well, we, we, would be to make it that every game's on, basically. We talked about the coronavirus being an unprecedented situation, but I mean what's gonna happen here on in and when we do finally get football again is also gonna be in itself a very unprecedented situation. This is gonna feel pretty surreal, isn't it, when this all restarts. Um, even if it just goes back to normal as and when it's possible to do so, that's gonna feel weird in its own right. But if if we end up with one of these behind-closed-door scenarios, that's just going to be very, very weird indeed, isn't it? <laughs> Watching football. I, mean, on I, I don't know. The other thing is, the longer you leave it, do you find, do you find that some people just drift away from football entirely? Possibly. I mean, people would have learned to get on with doing other things and, and maybe build a greater attachment to other interests that they might have taken on or, or enhanced. Their, their things Let's say it's 18 months, though. Yeah, I mean, that's... Take 18 months. That's a long time. I mean, I'm inclined to think it'd be the opposite. I'm inclined to think people would come rushing back because they're so starved of it for so long. But you just don't know, do you? I mean, maybe some people would drift away, and that's certainly possible. And um, I think the larger part, it will probably just spike people's hunger even more, and they'll, they'll probably be even more ravenous when the time comes. But, but there might be, for, for some people, maybe, yeah. Maybe they're, they're or are there away. going to be people that say, I don't, want to be, I don't want to be in large crowds anymore? Yeah, maybe people have got used to the isolation of it. Not yeah. even that. I mean, from a, until, you know, are you going to find people going, actually, you know, I've spent the last 18 months avoid, being told to avoid big crowds for health reasons. Hmm. Are you going to find a lot of people 
you know, people with underlying health conditions, uh, we were hearing there's like 4 million yeah. people in the UK with some form of asthma. Hmm. That's a yeah. heck of a lot of people. Are you going to find, uh, I don't know. It was just a thought I had the other day, which is, you know, is it, is this kind of thing going to actually change the way that people want to interact with large groups of people? Yeah, I mean, people are certainly going to be reticent, aren't they? Um, yeah, sure. certainly at the beginning, I think. Certainly the first few games back, there'll be probably lower crowds because people will be, some will be desperate to watch and some will be, as you say, kind of a bit reticent and, and yeah. about the habit as well. I think in a lot of, to a lot of people, football's just a habit. You know, every Saturday I go to football, it's kind of, but yeah, it's kind of if you drift off away from that for 18 months, if it was to be that, then... Do you it, could all, it can be filled with something else, can't it? Yeah. I don't know. Staying in. Yeah. Anyway, like I say, I'm sure, Russ, a lot of people will come back to it, but I think it's certainly not a given that everyone will sort of no. just pick up exactly where they were before. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be a lot of um, much more exercise and um, long-haired people walking about, isn't there, for a while as well, so they, yeah. they get into those barber appointments and um, and get back to fattening themselves up in pubs. Um, yeah, but uh, <laughs> it's we wait and see, don't we, on that one? Um, we are, uh, yeah, I'm just just thinking about um, other information that came out this week. Um, one particular thing caught my eye was. Um, well, actually, two things. Belarus is still doing the football. Um, vodka and driving tractors apparently solves that one. So maybe we should all just get straight back out there, according to the Belarusian president, um, that is. You're supposed to drive tractors uh, after drinking the vodka? I think so, yeah. I think you have to do them together for safety, really, just to make sure. Um, you know, you don't want, to, don't want to take any chances here. Um, but it's incredible, isn't it? That's the, the premier of the uh, country saying, ah, it's all just a fallacy. It's all just, um, well, fake news, basically, he's saying, isn't he? Um, so that was intriguing. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know what you think about that, Robin. Um, do you think it's just it's bonkers, isn't it? Just, yeah. It's just dangerous, isn't it, that kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. I saw one team in Belarus today did a, had, a, had a crowd of mannequins or something. <laughs> oh, that's shades of um, the... Uh, uh, what was it called the mural at Arsenal's Highbury when they were mm-hmm. rebuilding? That was that was actually the beginning of the Premier League era, I think. They had the mural behind the goal at Highbury. Do you remember that? Um, sounds a bit like that, but even weirder. Mannequins, really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a bit odd. Virtual online tickets cut out portraits of mannequins. One Belarusian club have ended up come up with a new way to fill empty stands during the coronavirus. Mm. Uh, apparently, it's Dynamo. Local sponsors of Rain Champions Dynamo Brest begin to stay at home. The club are filling their stands with mannequins. Lovely. <laughs> well, I mean, going back to the um, going back to the uh, uh, the mural Arsenal. I was listening to something on one of the podcasts the other day about that. They had it essentially behind the North Bank when they were redeveloping it before eventually planning to move on to a new stadium. And they painted figures on. I don't know if you guys remember this. Mm. There's all these images of of crowd painted onto a huge mural. And apparently, what happened was they all just looked like white figures at first. So there was a big fuss about, oh, there's no black faces there. So then they went around painting black and brown faces on some of them. Then they were saying there were children, there weren't any children or women there, so they did that. Then they were saying that the children who were standing in between people weren't with people that looked like they could possibly be the parents. So the demographics didn't add up. And there was this whole big fuss went on apparently at the time, which uh, went over my head. But uh, early PC stuff going on there by the sounds of it. <laughs> and I wonder if they're doing the same with the mannequins. I mean. You know, are they all the same colour? It's uh, strange, strange stuff. Um, anyway, that, that was that. Uh, there's also been um, United Arab Emirates uh, sacking their Serbian coach, Ivan Jovanovic, I think his name is. 
uh, before he'd played a single game. Um, he was only on a six-month deal, taking him to December. Um, so um, apparently there's no other games coming up now anyway, now that the, uh, the summer ones have been cancelled. So he's essentially had his contract terminated early, having had absolutely no chance to prove himself at all. So that's quite impressive. Um, <laughs> talk about short-term jobs. I, I think that's up, that's up there, isn't it, really? That is, yeah. That's difficult, isn't it? I mean, we've had um, yeah. McCar- we've had Republic of Ireland changing their coach early now, haven't we? As well, this week or last week. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Because I've Mick McCarthy was due to hand over to Stephen Kenny, I think it is. Um, yeah, he was due to hand over at the end of Euro 2020, which is obviously yeah. now not happening. So they've just decided. So Mick McCarthy just gets kind of screwed out of a of a tournament, which is yeah, a bit sad cause- for him. Because the qualifier will now take place after the end of his contract anyway, isn't it? Yeah, so it, exactly. That, that playoff qualifier yeah. wouldn't be in his uh, remit now. So, yeah, exactly. Bit of a for him, but there we go. Yeah. Yeah. And um, there's been some bad news on the um, corona infections front as well. I mean, first of all, there was news that uh, Bernard Gonzalez, the club doctor at League Earn Club Reims, um, has actually died of coronavirus or from coronavirus complications. And, of course, over on these shores, we've had a couple of legends of the game. Kenny Dalgleish, albeit he hasn't had any symptoms yet, and Norman Hunter, who's been put into hospital with it, um, both suffering at the moment. So, um, you know, a few worrying things. They're of a certain age where you you, you do fear for them. Um, it sounds like Kenny Dalgleish is in good health at the moment. He's yeah, his... that's a bit of a strange one. He went into hospital for something else. Yeah. And whilst it was basically everyone that gets, I think, I think everyone that gets admitted to hospital at the moment for anything is being yeah. routinely tested for it. Yeah. And yeah. I think they weren't expecting it to come back positive and then it did. But he's, yeah, as you say, he's, uh, he's got no symptoms at the moment. But like you, you worry that, sorry, Pete, you go on. What I was going to say was things like that make you realise how many cases there probably are in the UK of people who've got it and just don't Yeah. Really- Exactly. I suppose you just worry that whatever, inf- I mean, whatever you hope that whatever infection he's got doesn't weaken him to the point where he does get symptoms or, you know, if he does get them, they're, um, they're not very severe, hopefully, fingers crossed. But as you say, both at the age, I mean, both must be in their, in their 70s, I guess. Hunter's hmm. a bit older because he was 66 World Cup, wasn't he? Whereas Dalgleish... Oh, uh, yes, he must be. Yeah, Dalgleish must be early 70s, I'd reckon. Yeah. And Hunter must be about 80-ish, I think, in the early 80s. Yeah, yeah. as you say, it's it's affecting... And obviously we've had the Prime Minister in intensive care, haven't we, as well, which is um, a bit strange. Mm. Kind of affecting everyone everyone from the top down, really. Kenny Dalgleish uh, is 69. Yeah. And Norman Hunter is 76. Hmm. Okay. How yeah. they must have been pretty young then. In yeah, he must have been. Yeah. So 1966 World Cup, he'd have been. He was born in 1943. He'd been 23. Yeah. Yeah. So he probably didn't. Anyway. I can't remember from footage I've seen whether he got much involvement. Actually, maybe he was in just a squad member back then. I'm not sure. Maybe he was in the team. Uh, just says in the article. Just says he was part of Sir Alf Ramsey's England squad for 1966. And went hmm. on to win 28 caps in total. Actually, that's just reminded me. Also, Jimmy Greaves from the World Cup squad. He was oh, yes, of course, yeah, Jimmy Greaves as he's, well. And obviously, he's not been in great health, has he? Yeah, I mean, that's he's, right, had, yeah. he's had out. Has he got Alzheimer's? 
I think he has. Yeah, I think I think it was something like that. He'd had a stroke. Did he have a? He'd had a stroke, stroke, didn't he? Yeah. uh, They think this is an unrelated issue to anything before and isn't COVID related. But then again, you know, you're going into a hospital and you've got underlying health issues. You you don't want to be there, do you? Don't want to be there, really, do you? Uh, No, you don't. It yeah, just looks like Norman Hunter didn't start the World Cup final. It was Nobby Styles who started that position, of course, in the kind of... Oh, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So there we go. Um, the other news, I suppose, just, just going back in a bit of a circle, but um, I think since the last podcast we did, Liverpool announced they were furloughing staff and then subsequently did a U-turn. Um, <laughs> obviously, it's good they did do the U-turn rather than sticking to the guns. Um, but that came in for a hell of a lot of criticism, didn't it, back at the Quite time? Quite as well. Uh, yeah, agreed, because it just it didn't sit well with anyone. And the fact that he was getting they were getting criticised by ex um ex legends, you could you could call them, um, such as T D Harmon and um Jamie Carragher amongst others, um, really speaks volumes. I'm glad they changed that back. Disappointed to see that other clubs like Spurs and Newcastle are sticking to their guns. Um but all in all uh, it's, it's a funny scenario, isn't it? Furlough. It's very difficult. I mean, I think. I mean, I think the Albion have furloughed Albion in the community staff, haven't they? They have. have yeah, week? technically they're not their direct staff, are they? I think. I think that's the way it sits. So it's. Well, not yeah, I think to Albion. be honest, most. It's very difficult because on the one hand, you should say that it's called. Well, it's officially the government business retention scheme, isn't it? I think is its official name. Yeah. But I think you should, in theory, you think that should be reserved for you know, smaller businesses, less high-profile businesses. Yeah. Um, it is a bit difficult. I mean, when you've got play, when you've got staff on salaries of, you know, six figures a week, you mm. think, the, to me, again, I think, you know, the first step is surely cutting those salaries mm. before you furlough people. Mm. I mean, if you're a footballer and you're earning 150 grand a week and you're essentially, you are not doing anything at the moment, I'm hmm. not saying cut their salary to a thousand pounds a week, but even if you were to cut their salary in half, I mean, yeah. if you're a foot, surely as a football, you'd go, well, yeah, I'm, I'm not even training at the moment. Not let alone not playing matches. You are literally sitting at home yeah. to, to earn um, such eye-watering amounts of money. That's right. I mean, if you're in an ordinary, being furloughed. if you're in an ordinary job and it's not a COVID scenario, it's an ordinary uh, company financial issue, a cash flow issue. You might get made redundant. There might be, or due to merging or something, you might get made redundant. You might be asked to take a pay cut. In those scenarios, you probably would, wouldn't you? In the short term, you might think, "Where's this company going? Do I want to think about moving on into the longer term?" Um, but you would probably, I think, in normal circumstances, just consider going with the flow, knowing that the company is obviously genuinely struggling. Um, yeah, and I suppose the thing is that football clubs doing this are just putting. It's going on to the taxpayer. I mean, we are ultimately going to foot the bill. Yeah. yeah. Although, also, one thing for Debbie Devil's Advocate slightly here, they, are, they have signed to play 38 games effectively in a season in a league. And at the moment, mm. they still will be doing that. Now, whether and next season they'll be playing 38 as well. So now, I'm not particularly disagreeing. I think they probably should take a pay cut. But they still technically at the moment will play the same number of games as they would have done yeah, it's a fair point. It's a fair point. Yeah, just it's just going to be a very weird timing-wise. At the moment, there still will be the same number of games this season and next season as there would have been otherwise. Yeah, yeah, that's but, true. Yeah, I do agree. It's that just they, very, it's it's very difficult, isn't it? Because you think, yeah, I take I take your point. Obviously, you just think there's clubs that are furloughing people who are on 
not very much money and yet they're still paying out full whack. Yeah, Obviously, they're the you know, primary asset, so you would. But yeah, I just think if you're earning 200 grand a week or 150 grand a week and the club says, do you mind for the next three months just taking 100 grand a week instead? Yeah. Um, I think doing that would, you know, that would secure the jobs of yeah. probably well, everyone at the, at the football club for, you know, a couple of years, probably. So we're moving on with part two now of the podcast, episode 26, Brighton Rock, um, sponsored by Seagulls Over London and coming to you from various locations up and down the country via a Zoom call. So welcome back to the show, Peter and Robin. How are you both doing? Still all right? Yeah, yes, hang in there. Are you ready for your teams of the 90s? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I am. The We've 90s. Got- is a funny decade for me. In terms it is. Of the album, it's but, yeah. weird, isn't it? Yeah. And as I was saying in part one, um, I, I have, I'm, I've got a bit of a flaky uh, recollection of certain parts of the 90s because I wasn't able well, to go so often. Yeah. I mean, for me, obviously, as, as we touched on in, in the last episode that I was on, I, I, my first Albion game was only 94. So I've, I've kind of personally lost nearly half the decade not having a, a direct memory of it. Um, and then obviously the bit that I do remember of the 90s, we were absolutely god-awful for <laughs> almost all of it <laughs> so yeah for the um i have uh, as i've had some conversations with uh with fans of a slightly older generation about the early part of the 90s that i missed out on um just to get a bit of a um, bit of insight but actually all of the names that were suggested to me were names that i would probably have put down in my best 11 if i was pushed to do it without any help anyway yeah yeah that's good then and Speaking of best and worst, um, should we start with worst in the tradition that we have been doing so far? Yeah, I think that's quite yeah, wise, isn't it? Imperial Styles, that'd be the better team. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, exactly. Well, um, okay, yeah, well, let's start with that then. So, um, unlike the previous episodes, we're just um, condensing this down into worst and best rather than split subdivided into loan and permanent deals. So, these are worst. They could be on loan, they could be permanent. And the best, the same. So starting with the worst 11s, um, guys, what have you got, first of all, for your goalie in defence? Peter, after you. I have got a goal. Uh, the goalkeeper I have is Paul McKenna, who played one game, which was my first game at the Goldstone against Middlesbrough, <laughs> and conceded four goals and was absolutely dreadful, which is why I remember him from one game. <laughs> that, is, that is a fair enough memory. I struggled with goalkeepers for worst because... I don't mm. really... Obviously, we had some terrible results, particularly in the Gillingham years. But I don't ever really remember a goalkeeper being absolutely dreadful or absolutely at fault yeah. quite well, often. I just remember... Maybe it was the fact that we were just generally... Maybe we were just terrible all over the pitch. That yeah. um, I, in the end, I went for Mark Walton. Yeah, I'd, I'd yeah. gone for Mark Walton because I, I thought he was a little insubstantial. He was there with us... For two years, so he had enough yeah. um, to sort of. But it was yeah, difficult. I say I don't remember. Don't remember. Yeah, I think it was just more a sort of general malaise of the fact that we were. Yeah, we were, we're I mean, good all over the place. On the bench, if, if it came to it, um, he was for someone who was six foot four. I remember him being dreadful in the air. Yeah, exactly. That was the thing as well. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, wasn't that it? was yeah. my main recollection of him as well. So I don't remember yeah. him having any absolute howlers, but I just remember him being. Yeah, just not particularly solid. 
No, but yeah, I would have put him if it wasn't. The only reason I remember Paul McKenna is because my first ever game in a Goldstone. Yeah, no, that is, and that is, yeah, that's a very specific memory, isn't it? So, yeah, happy, happy either or. Because I say, I struggled at lower levels, so. Yeah, I mean that's it. Paul McKenna, I did I, doing the research. I did see his name. I vaguely recognised it, um, but I didn't really know if he'd done much at all, uh, and if so, whether whether it was fair to put him in as somebody who just was a forgettable name. But now you've mentioned that, Peter, he's certainly worthy of a place somewhere in the squad, maybe on the bench, I guess. Um, yeah, the bench seems better to be, yeah, I think maybe uh, you know playing one or two games, you can just have a bad game. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, I'd, I'd say I'd, yeah. So Mark, Mark Walton, and then and then uh, McKenna on the bench. Yeah, the the other notable I mentioned is Stuart Kerr. He had a month on loan. I don't know if he really got managed to get into the team. Um, the other guy we had was Will Packham, who came through the youth ranks. Yeah, um, he spent four years with us. And, so he um, was around in the early in the early part of the two thousands, I think, as well, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Yeah, that's right. He he was there from. I think it was, yeah, the last couple of years of the decade, I think it was. Um, throwing the ball into his own net against Preston in the cup in about his only game. <laughs> yeah, not bad, <laughs> not bad. I mean, it's difficult, isn't it? Because in one game, you said the the other guy, McKenna, conceded four goals against Middlesbrough, but everybody could have a one-off bad game. That's the yeah. only other. Yeah, that was, that was the only reason I went for Walton, which was because he was yeah. kind of inconsistent over 50-odd games. Well, yeah. it like uh, Nicky Rust, obviously, he was now being goalkeeper at that point. He played, he played for Barnet for a couple of games, one of which they lost 9-1 at home. So yeah. <laughs> I reckon Barnet fans would probably have him in their worst 11. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't great, but he was, he, was, he was one of those... There was a number of players we had, and we'll discuss them more in a moment, I'm sure, um, who were there for about a solid period of five years, going through that second half of the decade or, or thereabouts. And, I mean, they're, they're, well, the other names will come up in a minute, but, but Nicky Russ was one of those. I think he was with us four or five years exactly. So, uh, you know... He, yeah, this period is characterised by a lot of people being around for quite a long time and actually doing very little. Yeah, which speaks volumes. <laughs> <Which> is, <laughs> speaks volumes about everything, I think. So. Yeah, but I think anyway. it would be a bit unfair to put Ross in, but I'm happy with Walton if well, you I guys are. just in putting him in. I was saying that, yeah, for a context, Barnett would have put him in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'd, say, I'd say Walton was the only one I could consider over a long enough period of time that I was <laughs> kind of doubtful about. Yeah, Rust and Ormerod were both pretty solid for us over that yeah, time. Yeah, well, see, Ormerod in the Hereford game made a couple of, Big saves, didn't he? That one so, at the end when the guy took the yeah, kick. absolutely. I mean, one yeah, and I think there was another save in the second half as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, for that game alone, the fact that he he kind of stood up when it mattered rules him out. Yeah. Hmm. Well, um, just before we go any further into the defenders, I should mention that I've had to go with the three-three-four formation. Oh. Uh, this. Uh, <laughs> Unusually for me, I've I've deviated from my traditional four four two, and I've gone four three three. No, I've got I've got a different quality four four two. We're all over the place for this one. I have I have reverted for the for the best eleven. I have reverted to four four two, but for this, oh, okay. I had yeah, to go. I had to go four three three. I've also got an inspirational bench as well lined up. So you know, <laughs> marvelous. Yeah, I have. So, <laughs> so do you want to? So should we go? What did you What did you say, Russ? You went three four three. Yeah, on the basis that it doesn't bloody matter who we how we line up. Yeah, exactly. And Pete, what did you what did you well, go for this one? Game four, four, <laughs> well, let's see let's see what let's see what defenders we've got, and if we've got four that are stand out dreadful, or whether we can yeah. go three. I don't know. Well, you've got more. Who are your, who are your three, Russ? Um, well, I've actually got a um, I've got a, a short list of four that's a narrow to three. I mean, I've got Ross McNally, who 
there's a guy I had to look up and um, or, or found when I was looking stuff up, and I don't remember him at all. He seemed to have been with us for a while. Um, didn't I don't have no recollection of him whatsoever. Derek Allen, which I'm assuming is not that's not the guy that ended up being um, some sort club of uh, secretary. club secretary, is it? No, I don't think so. Um, I think don't think know. it is. I, I think he's a Scottish guy, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, this, this player, and he was with us for a while, and I just don't remember him at all. I know my my um, my Albion going habits were patchy, but nonetheless, that's pretty unimpressive. And then the other one was going to be either Stuart Monday or Peter Smith. Who, I mean, I love Peter Smith. He's a bit of a cult hero, but he was gangly and he was all over the place and he was so sporadic. Um, he was one of those that was with us for five years. Um, so he fits the bill. But I, I don't know if it's a bit harsh putting him in. I would need to, to have seen him a bit more, I think, in those five years to have made forms a full-on judgment. But uh, definitely Alan and McNally for me. Yeah, and possibly Stuart Monday because he, I put him in my best team mainly because oh. I couldn't think of a right back to put in there because um, I was quite putting players at centre back and um, and that goal against Leicester. Oh, yeah, pretty. I I have I've got Derek Allen in mine as well, so I think he can definitely go down on the list. Yeah, what, what's the yeah. rest of yours, Robin? Uh, I've gone for I've got Derek Allen. I've got Glenn Thomas in there. Do you remember him? Yeah, got him. Yeah. I just remember him having was it Brentford where he had about yeah. just an absolutely just all, one of the most awful games of football I've ever seen from anyone. And he scored <laughs> own goal or something. And yeah, I just like I think it was one of those games where absolutely everything that could have gone wrong went even more wrong than it could have gone. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we had quite a few around that time. Yeah, Maybe. exactly. It was, but yeah. So I've got him. Um, I struggled a bit for the other two. I've gone Paul Sturgis at left back. Uh, yeah, and another one I really remember. I put in John Humphrey at right back. I've only got one the same as you, actually. I've, uh, Who have you gone for? I've gone for Mickey Bennett at right back because he kind of played various roles. And I yeah. went to the conclusion that he was a little worse than Smith in the end. He was on those. I've got, I've got Mickey Bennett, but he's in my midfield three. Yeah, I think he played right back <laughs> and midfield and uh, yeah. pretty badly, generally. Yeah, so it doesn't really matter how they line up, does it? <laughs> Just chuck eleven people out. I remember him being absolutely dreadful when he signed for us at the first. Who was that? Davy Campbell. Oh yeah, God. And yeah, he's forgotten was, about him. He, he yeah, was, I've got him on the bench. He played like six months, and I think Adam sold him on soon after that. But he was yeah dreadful. And um, I think he needs to be in alongside yeah. Glenn Thomas. I've gone for uh, in a competition of one of the worst loanies ever for us. There's a few of them in his team, but Ashley Neal, who was uh, definitely yeah, not- I've got I've got Ashley Neal in my midfield three again. Because <laughs> <laughs> I remember him start. I remember him. I remember his first game for us. He was in central midfield. That was the only reason I put him in in midfield. And it was against because obviously he came in from Liverpool, didn't he? Yeah. On loan because obviously he's um, linked to his dad, and you know, everyone was like, oh yeah, exactly all that. And I remember him coming in and. He started in, who was it against? He came in, set, played, oh, it was Northampton. Oh, that's a 3-0 there. Yeah, and he started, He came in and he, started, he played. He started in central midfield in that game. Um, and, yeah, we lost. And basically, I remember him, he was just dreadful throughout. And Jimmy Case just kept picking him. Like, <laughs> I think if he hadn't, if his loan spell, if his loan spell had carried on, he'd have just continued to pick him, even if he was still terrible. <laughs> oh, this is magnificent, isn't it? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I'm happy to have them in. I'm, this is where my patchiness 
of the of the knowledge comes in. So I'm happy to uh, bow to your better. Yeah, talk. I think if we're going to go with, I think we can agree. So we've got Derek Allen and Glenn Thomas definitely in. Yeah. Um, Campbell as well, I think needs to be in. Definitely. Uh, so it, that's it three. Comes, it depends. Do we, is there a fourth one that we're convinced enough about? Well, I think I'm I'm going to try and persuade you to go with my three three four formation here. I think. <laughs> there, let's go. I'm happy to. I'm happy to stick those three. I'm happy to stick with those three at the back on the yeah, basis that yeah. my other my other two that I'd put in were, um, I wasn't convinced about them. So yeah, yeah. Okay. What do you think, Peter? You okay with that? I, I thought it was a little bit harsh on Derek Allen. Actually, I thought he was okay, but I'm happy to go with because both of you gone for him. I, yeah. uh, I'm happy to go with him. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, midfield. I haven't got an awful lot to offer here. I've got a couple of peripheral names I'll see what you guys think about but one I did want to throw in was Graham Atkinson uh, March to November he was with us of 98 um, I think he played only a handful of games mainly I think there was one possibly a cup match I think I recall uh, I'm not sure if I'm remembering that right or not um, or a couple of cup games um, and he was pretty awful I believe uh, from what I remember which wasn't much I think he wasn't really a regular in the team um, but that in itself is the damning condemnation. Yeah. Not getting into a yeah. team in that era. Um, that team, do you guys, pretty used do you remember him? Vaguely. Yeah. Yeah, that would be exactly. I mean, that, that's, that says it all, doesn't it, Ren? <laughs> yeah, um, that is. It's not good. What are you guys... I know, Robin, you've mentioned a couple of yours already. Yeah, I said I've got in my three, just finished, I've got Mickey Bennett, Ashley Neal, and I've got Jason Peake in there as well. I've got yeah. Jason Peake as well. It was yeah, just, just, yeah, just like, nightmares. Transfer yeah. for years, wasn't he? And it was yeah. But, uh, yeah I remember just... them reading up, reading up, and he signed for Plymouth later, and it was considered a bit of a coup that Plymouth got him. I thought, wow, really? Uh... It was a coup <laughs> that we'd managed to find anyone to <laughs> not well, to like take him. Thirty-five yards or something like that, like a really big yeah. strike, and that was literally was, what he did. And that was it. Was that was probably he was probably trying a crossfield pass. <laughs> <laughs> So shall I do mine then? Alongside Jason yeah. in the field, I've got Valor Gislafsson, another of our uh, great Arsenal oh, yeah. journeys. Oh, yeah. Really awful. Marvellous stuff. That's Gillingham, yeah. And then on the wings, I've got Simon Wormel, who played a few games in the... Uh, yeah, I thought about him. And then Danny Mills, who signed from Barnet one summer and, and was pretty useless as well. So he's the worst yeah. Danny Mills out of two that we know. Um, wow! Yeah. I don't know about that. Was he as, was he as bad at football as Danny Mills is at punditry? Probably. Probably. <laughs> that, that's a damning condemnation. Then, if that's okay. Pretty so, better at punditry. So, are we? So, are we going? What's our formation? Are we going? Is it three again? No, it's three. Yeah. Going, do you say? Did you say three, three, four? I've gone three, three, four. Yeah. Oh, Fine. Um, I would, if I had to drop one for my three, I'd probably drop Bennett, and I. I would argue strongly for Neil and Peak. Yeah, yeah. yeah Peak somebody I thought Neil has to be in there because yeah, actually Neil just has to be in there. Yeah. Um, I like Peak. Gisbasson alongside him. Yeah, I'm happy with that. The other two were yeah. pretty ordinary for for the Gillingham years. They could have been worse. So yeah, the only other person I, I had on my shortlist apart from Jason Peak was um, Andy Arnott. I don't remember much about him. He was with us for a year. Yeah. And he seemed to be pretty nondescriptive. Um, his appearances. He was in his mid twenties, so he wasn't a youngster. Yeah, Unlike, he was I think, right, Dave, he yeah. He, he is was he all right? Yeah. The like in the Gillingham years, which yeah. The other name. Yeah, he was all right. Up... I remember him. Or I think he was only there for a season. I think. Yeah, yeah. that's right. I think. That's right. Yeah, I remember him being. Yeah, he was all right. It's all right. And the only other one that came up 
on my end, but I don't really know enough about him. It's a familiar name, but I don't remember the player. It was Denny Mundy. He came up through the East Ranks, didn't he, or something like that. He's described as a defender, forward slash forward, whatever that Yeah, means. he was around for a while. He was quite, he was around for a while, yeah, actually. Like Arnott, he wasn't, he wasn't the worst of that lot. He was, yeah. but he wasn't very good. But okay. I mean, let's be honest, for us in those years wasn't going to be very good. No, true. True. Yeah, I'd say similar. I remember him just being a bit meh about him, but yeah, definitely not not the worst that we. No, would, uh, I mean it was just a general catalogue of catalogue of mundanity, wasn't it? That's fine. Yeah, it was, and a lot of people coming in for like one season here, one season there, or even one or two games for some of them. That's like <laughs> we'd yeah. like one month contracts or whatever, and then they'd be so bad that we wouldn't even keep them on. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, indeed. Or if they were yeah. any good, they wouldn't stay with us. <laughs> so, the best one of that was it. Do you remember the second season of Gillingham when we signed Amika Ifejagua and he scored like one goal at Barnet and played three games, looked quite good, and then got deported or something? Oh, yes, actually, he didn't have a work permit, did he? <laughs> something like that. I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah he was, yeah, well. he, he was a, was he, he was absolutely giant as well, wasn't he? He was like six foot six or something, wasn't he? Yeah. He scored a that was, yeah, that was the, that was the irony. We, un, we unearthed a decent player in him. Find out he wasn't even in the country legally. Yeah. yeah. He, he scored a goal at Barnet in a one nil win there. And I got absolutely drenched because I was in the, so I used to go, I got like a membership for Barnet in those days and I only got in for a pound. So I was out in the open and like kind of, got absolutely drenched and we won one nil somehow. <laughs> well, it's a good job we don't have any problems with work permit issues nowadays, isn't it, boys? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> right, um, so, that's our, so that's our three then. Yeah, so this is looking four, good, then. isn't it? What's your front four? Yeah, we're going with the front four. I, I'm working on the basis that we may as well try to attack and show willing, despite our guarantee of failure, because, you know... <laughs> Yeah, we're anyone. not keep. We're not well. The the issue in this team is that I can't see any. I can't see anyone who's actually going to get the ball to the front four. <laughs> <laughs> no matter. We can. It'll have absolutely no bearing on their ability to do anything anyway. No. Right? All right. So who is your who's your illustrious four then, Russ? Right. Well, I mean, without any shadow of a doubt, we have to have Mark Farrington in there. A man of, of extreme lack of quality. Um, absolutely. Astonishingly bad, I, I felt. I, I really couldn't stand him. I thought he was awful. I don't know what he was doing on the football pitch. I wouldn't have had him in my Sunday team. He That's how bad I thought he was. Didn't he? he did, yeah, yeah which made cost. it worse. I'll be honest, yeah. I forgot about him. I was looking so focusing on the on the, the Gillingham years that I forgot about Mark Farrington. Yeah, yeah, I must admit, I didn't have. He wasn't in my three, I have to admit, oh, as well. But okay. yeah, happy to be. Well, I say happy to be reminded of him. Not happy to remind him. <laughs> in the context of this, happy to be reminded of him. <laughs> That's the thing with with people players that you've forgotten. I'm wondering if this is good or bad that you've forgotten them. If you've forgotten them, maybe they weren't bad enough. I, I don't well, know. I'm now going to get immediately angry about things that I'd forgotten about. So, <laughs> gone, anyway, bro. who else? Uh, well, I've gone for Stafford Brown, um, a man with uh, the E at the end of the Brown. That doesn't normally happen. Um, he was another one who was on a one-year contract. Um, very nondescriptive again. Um, he was aged 26 or 27 when he came to us, so it wasn't as if he was, um, you know, wet behind the ears or anything. And he was utterly, yeah, I mean, he was just utterly unremarkable. It was just, he was just so blandly just there on the pitch. Um, on my bench. Really offered nothing. Well, yeah, on the, on the bench more often, yeah. But he, he really, uh, really did offer nothing at all. Mm. Um, the name sounds good, but mm, not yeah, not great. Um, Another one I've thrown in for, um, I just remember him, but I don't remember 
anything about it, which I think is a bad sign. Damien Hilton. He was yeah, a I've youngster. Got Damien, I've got he Damien Hilton. Like in. He is the worst yeah. I've ever seen play for Brighton. Yeah. Agree. Yeah. He is in he there. Is, if he's the one I'm thinking of, then I agree with you. Yeah, because he made a different Barnet away, made his debut there, and I don't think I've ever seen a man impersonate a footballer in a, in a way that was as bad as he. He was just genuinely couldn't. He just did, his first touch was so bad. It was... <laughs> it, yeah, I mean, he. To be fair, he made he made Craig McHale Smith's first touch look like Ronaldinho. To be honest, wow, that's that's yeah, really, no, really like is. His second touch was to retrieve the ball for the throw-in for the other for the opposition. So we're talking talking about raking thirty-five yard passes. That's that's his control yeah. of the ball type of thing. Was it? Terrible players to play for Albion. I think he is the worst I've seen. Yeah, I wow. would agree with that. Which is quite an accolade. Yeah, I mean, good. Well, well, in a sense, well done. If you're going to be the bad, more you... might as well be the best. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So exactly. that's. Don't so be on us, the yeah, so it gives us Hilton and Farrington then for two. Well, yeah, that's your other one. Well, I had Stafford Brown. The other one was someone who I don't really remember. I, the more you mention Hilton now, the more I realise that is a guy I was thinking of. But um, the other one I'm, I've got here is someone I've never heard of, which is why I put him in. Alistair Edwards. He was with us only from 1st of November 89. Sorry, he was with us from 1st of November 89 to the 1st of December 94. So he's with us for five years. From what I could tell, he wasn't on loan anywhere. So he was, he was with us. He's an Aussie. Um, his, his other playing career seems to all be over there. Um, I've literally got no recollection of him no, at all. No, I have whoever. to say, I've never, I, I don't recognise the name. I so I, I just thought, you know, for someone to be with us that long and not to not not to even recognise the name, is quite impressive, I think. I mean, it's a little bit like that guy at Chelsea. He was he was just picking up oh, a massive for contract. Ages, yeah. And he, he just did nothing at all. He might as well have been in lockdown. Um, yeah, it's, it's that bad. Um, so that, that was the other one I had. And I had um, four more on the bench, by the way, uh, just to mention for yeah, later. A lot of strikers. <laughs> we had a lot of strikers. Well, we had a lot of people that claimed to be strikers. That's who were your, Who did you go for, Pete? So my front two is Damien Hilton, who I think, yeah. Has, yeah. Uh, Jamie Morley. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> I had Jamie Morley in my front three with Damien Hilton as well. So I'm happy yeah. to stick Morley in there. The one that I think that you've all missed somehow, who is probably second behind Damien Hilton, is Michael Mahoney-Johnson. He's on my bench. A uh, man uh-huh. with 12 more letters in his surname than he has professional goals. <laughs> I love it. It, it. Yeah, I mean, I saw his name when I was researching, but I didn't remember him at all. Um, I also think yeah. it's a fair mention of the Fox brothers, who were pretty useless. Yeah, yeah. Simon and John Westcott Mar- as well. Yeah, John Westcott. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I had uh, I had Morley as well. So yeah, I, I mean, based yeah, on Morley. the front four, I would go. I'd have gone. I'd go Hilton. Morally, Mahoney, Johnson, Farrington as my front four, probably. Actually, I think, to yeah, be honest, Farrington will probably shine in that front four because the others were dreadful at the lowest level, whereas he was dreadful at higher up. <laughs> yeah, so he'd probably be the, yeah, he would be the best of that. But yeah, yeah. that would be my, that would be my four. Because both of the, well, all four of those, at least, I have memories of them being yeah. Who are yeah. very good. Well, I had Jamie Morally on the bench. That was one of them. Um, I, one slightly disingenuous. I had Lorenzo Pinamonte who actually looked signed like for us. He looked like a porn star. <laughs> he looked like a porn star indeed. And he signed for us. This is a bit cheeky because he signed for us on December the 17th, 1999. I had to check that. <laughs> <So, laughs> I'm not sure if we can count it. If we need to leave someone out, he's the one for that yeah. reason. 
but he was with us. I mean, he was only with us a couple of months, but he was pretty dreadful. Um, yeah. The other ones I had on the bench, Morally, I mentioned David Cameron, who I thought was pretty bad. Um, yeah, it was bad. And Martin Lambert, who we signed at the age of 27. He stayed, again, it's one of these that stay for two years and I've got absolutely no recollection of at all. It's only through doing the research that his name came up at all. Um, so he, he was in for that reason. Um, and so that, those are the four strikers. But I wanted to have quite a few strikers on the bench on the basis that, um, well, essentially, um, the first lot can have a 60-minute run out and those hapless cloggers in Epley give the ball away. So we might as well just get another load in to do the same thing, just freshen it up a bit. Um, give them a run out. Right, so if we're going for a four, what are our thoughts? I've given my four. What would you go, Pete, if you had to pick a four out of I all of I that lot? I agree with you. I think I've, I've no idea who Martin Lambert even is. No, I haven't <laughs> heard of him, to be honest. But yeah, yeah. I would say, yeah, Hilton, Morley, Mahoney, Johnson, Farrington, if I had to pick four out of that Yeah, lot. I'm happy with that, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. And my other ones will go on the bench, then, if that's yeah, okay. Yeah, pick them on the bench yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. Sounds good. That is, a, that is a woeful 11, isn't it, really? Yeah. I'm proud of that. Yeah. It's <laughs> and it's, a, it's, if... but it's, a, it's also, it's, it's, a, it's a delightfully unconventional formation as well, isn't it? It just shows that that was, how, that was the pool of awful players that we picked from, that we've had, actually had to deviate from any normal formation as well to do it just. Well, I think, I think it's um, really appropriate to highlight the, the, the sheer level of their hapless ineptitude, really. It, it, you know, it, it just seems to fit the bill. Yeah, to be honest, they, that, 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 team is, that team is scoring no goals and with only three in midfield and three at the back, it's conceding quite a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're talking doubles. That worst, that worst 11 against the worst 11 of the 2000s, whether. Because I have a feeling, actually, that they'd lose to them quite comfortably. Yeah, I think, I, so. I think so. Yeah, they would. Yeah, they would. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Right, yeah. so that moves us on to the best 11 then. Yeah, this seemed a bit more clean cut to me. I, I, there's a few bits. As I say, yeah, but... it, it did for me once I'd sort of validated a few names that I knew from the past in terms of, you know, once I'd actually sort of validated one of the people. I've chucked yeah. in a couple that I've put in for, I'll say, more sentimental values, which you'll you can probably guess and we'll come on to but yeah who did you have in goal Russ um I went with John Keeley I like good old Keels he was um he was with us for a good while um solid goalkeeper maybe not the most amazing but I thought he was he was good and solid and um just enjoyed um seeing a solid goalkeeper in there for a, a good period of time um there's other options there of course but uh I, I thought I'd honor his his contribution yeah, to his podcast. Pete? Uh, Mark Beanie. Yeah. Oh, I I went Perry Digweed. Yeah, I had him on so the bench. Three, <laughs> three yeah. different ones. Yeah, I've got oh, Digweed. Oh, this is tricky. We had some quite goalkeepers at the start of the 90s, that's why. Yeah. Yeah, it was decent. Digweed had come, come through from the previous decade and he was still pretty good. Um, not as good, but still decent. He's definitely got the most extraordinary name in the football, I think. It's safe yeah. to say. Um, it trips off the tongue, though. Um, it does. But, um, yeah, I mean, Beanie was good. And obviously, the thing with Beanie was he, uh, well, for reasons off the pitch, helped the club as well, didn't he? Yeah. Um, if you with, say the sale, with the sale to Leeds, yeah. So, um, and I suppose John Keeley was around. He then became, he stayed around, didn't he? He was goalkeeping coach for quite a long time. So he's, his yeah. connection kind of carried on for yeah. a while, didn't it? Yeah. Um, um, well, who did you got? Did you have anyone on the bench? I had guys? on the bench. You had who, sorry? Digweed. 
Oh, yeah, Dean Green on the bench as well, yeah. Um, it's difficult because they're all good goalkeepers. They're all good goalkeepers. Yeah. Um, probably go... Oh, I don't know. I don't it's know, toughie. actually. It's a toughie, it is a tough isn't it? We'll defence, then we'll come back to that when we've done the defence. Yeah, let's come back to it. Um, oh, I, went for a back, I went for a back four yeah. of Gary Chivers, Steve Gatting, Paul McCarthy and Kerry Mayo. Mm, interesting. Okay. Well, I, I went back four. I went four four two for this. So I've gone Chivers and Gatting as well. Um, right back, I went for Paul Watson, who um, signed in 99. Again, it's a little disingenuous, perhaps. He only had half a season before the decade changed. But I couldn't think of another right back suitable quality. And I think he's better than other options for me. So I've gone Watson, Chivers, Gatting. And then on the left back role, I was struggling. I mean, in the end, it came down to a couple of stalwarts that we had. We had Keith Dublin and good old Ian Chapman, who was with us for a decade. Oh, yeah, of course. Not the greatest players, but they, you know, they were solid-ish in a way, and um, I didn't mind them at all. Um, Kerry Mayo's not a bad shout, I guess, as well. I mean... I'd say that he's a slight... That was one of the slightly sentimental ones. Yeah. Yeah, that he he kind of played... For my my kind of personal experience of the Albion, he was the kind of... He was one of the first kind of stalwarts who played through all of that, all of those years. Um, Pete, who did you have? Uh, I went for Stuart Monday at right back, as I said, because I couldn't think of anyone. And I thought, well, oh, yeah. that Leicester goal was so good. Uh, I went for Chapman at left back because he was, he was one of the best players, I thought, when I first started watching. And, and then Chivers and Gatting at centre-half. Uh, yeah. So yeah. Chivers and Gatting, we can say, are in. Yeah. I'm happy for Ian Chapman, to be, Ian Chapman to be in as well because it's a decent yeah. player. So that's three. So it's just agreeing on a right back, really. So we've got... McCarthy, no, was it McCarthy you said? I play Chivers at right back. I'm happy to go with McCarthy. Yeah, I pl- to be honest, I had, I had Chivers at right back, to be honest. Then I had Gatting, I had Gatting and McCarthy in the middle. Yeah. I had yeah. And then he in, stick Ian Chapman in on the left. Yeah. It's decent okay. back. Yeah, I'm happy, I'm happy with that. That's a, that's a very solid back four, to be honest. Yeah. Sounds so goalkeeper, good. Any, any strong thoughts either way? We go dig week because we Russell and I both had him on the bench. Yeah, I think to be honest, I think all three. I think, I think the other, two, whichever two we don't put in, both deserve to be on the bench. Yeah, so I think it's there's nothing really to choose between them. Yeah, yeah, we can go with Digweed. Yeah, happy to go with Digweed. Yeah. Okay. To so be honest, Dig- with that with that back four, I don't think the goalkeeper's going to have much to do. <laughs> no, no, probably not. Playing against the worst eleven. Yeah, certainly <laughs> he'll be on a deck chair, <laughs> smoking Cuban cigars. Um. <laughs> Right, so midfield four then, Russ, who have you got? Yeah, I'm wondering if this might be slightly powder puff, but I've gone for um, a four of Alan Kirbishley, John Robinson, Dean Wilkins and Clive Walker. Walker for a bit of width and for that little stint he had with us. It wasn't always great, but there was a little purple patch where he, he did a lot of good for us. Wilkins was a silky player, had a bit of elegance and grace and was really good in his time. John Robinson probably more so with Charlton, who he I think played for after us, I think it was. Um, but he was a good player and he could play wider to allow a bit of width to the midfield there. Um, but Alan Kirbishley was a really good player. Really good player. Um, that's a good That's a good four. I've gone uh, a couple of similarities in there. I've gone George Paris, mm-hmm. who I was a huge yep. fan of. Yeah, that um, was good. Scored that, obviously, that amazing goal against Bristol Rovers, I think it was, wasn't it? Yeah. Where the goalkeeper right. put it down. But I think he was at a time when there was not a lot of, when we just weren't very good and a lot of the squad seemed quite flaky. He always seemed to be 
he always seemed to be very committed. I think he was captain for a while. I think so. I remember. Oh, yeah. yeah, he just seemed to stand out as someone at the time that was kind of a bit more, seemed to have his head in the game a bit more. Yeah. So I've gone for him, Dean Wilkins, Jeff Minton and Clive Walker were my four. Yeah. Minton's on my bench, just to mention as well. So, yeah, yeah. But similar to you, I mean, Clive Walker just obviously had the quality. Just, I mean, like mm. a lot of wingers, just you know, a mm. bit inconsistent. But yeah, about you, Pete. I've gone for three names that have been mentioned already. I've gone for Minton and Wilkins in midfield, and Walker on the left. And purely sentimental reasons, I stuck Stuart Store on the right wing. Ah, uh, yeah. He, obviously that goal and the He's way got to be it. in really hasn't he really i was trying to find a way to get him in so i think we can conclude then that wilkins so we've all gone for wilkins haven't we and we all have all yeah. gone for walker yeah so they're in kerbish is a good shout i'm happy to put him in yeah i'm happy so to then, drop robinson out because he, he he although he was a good player for us he wasn't with us as long as we're i think store i think store has got to be in so i would go store wilkins kerbishly walker well, yeah. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, I would have walked um, Storer out before the game to uh, draw in the applause. That's that's how I would have played that one. But um, happy to have Storer in. We yeah. you were, we saw you were with did you you were with me when we met him at the box park, weren't you, Rush? That's right. Yes, um, indeed. We had a good yeah. chat with him. On he's uh, he's I've met him a couple of times at the Amex as well, and he's always he's still now utterly bemused. <laughs> that the fact that basically wherever he goes over the country, there'll be some Albion fan that will recognise him <laughs> and come up and shake his hand for about half an hour and yeah, want to buy him, you know, every drink in the bar. I think he's, he's a, I think he's a teacher now. I think. But it's funny because there's like there's, there's players all over the place like that. It's like um, so the Carlisle guy, Jimmy Glass, but he's like that as well. You know, he's like yeah, and he kind yeah. of so. I mean, I suppose for him, you know, almost so inconsequential, isn't it? Just one. You know, an act of, yeah. you know, an act that's basically was over in, you know, five seconds, basically. Yeah. Um, but it's crazy, isn't it, really? yeah. Yeah. For Albion, really. But obviously is renowned for that. Yeah, job. say, that's why he's another sentimental one. He's got to be in there, really. Um, fine. So, front two, Russ. Well, I couldn't resist. There's, there's some good players um, around at the time, but I couldn't resist going for Gary Nelson and Johnny Byrne. Um, both great strikers, um, both served us well, decent amount of time, both got a bit of flair about them, really knew where the net was. Johnny Byrne had more more of the flair, Nelson was more of the clinical kind of striker, I would say, overall. But um, both outstanding players for us, um, love watching them play, and they were part of my teenage years, going to games, I think. Um, well, no, that well probably just after the teenage years wasn't it actually but then um, probably my 20s when I was going to games with mates and happy days yeah really enjoyed it Pete who have you got uh, I've gone for Byrne as well um, I've also gone for Mike Small who was brilliant the first season I watched and uh, scored mm. top scorer by a distance for us um, and, and then sadly we sold to West Ham which is part of the reason we went down the next season yeah he was a good player Mike Small decent yeah and he wasn't very small either yeah. Um, I went for Byrne as well. Yeah. And for purely sentimental reasons, I had to put Robbie Rowan out in there because uh-huh. this wouldn't exist if without that goal. So I just had to put him in there. Uh, I, love, I love the sentimentality, Robin. It's coming through in spades. Here. I'd say, I mean, <laughs> all of this would be irrelevant if he hadn't scored, wouldn't it? So yeah, yeah. I guess that so. Was, it's another one. That was a slight, obviously not the, probably not the, the best that we've, you know, probably not the amongst the two best that we've had, but mm. certainly the two most... In, he's in the... 
Well, I'd definitely be wheeling him out with Reinhardt in, um, in, a, in a pre-match appreciation round of applause from the crowd, I think, for this match involving this best 11. Um, yeah, uh, Reinhardt, yeah, not the greatest player, obviously, but key moments. So it depends how you value those things, yeah. I suppose. I'd, I'd be pretty gutted if Nelson or Burma were missing from the lineup. He also got equaliser against Cambridge the two games before as well, didn't he? So to get get us a point mm. as well. Yeah, mm. I mean Nelson. I suppose one thing I would say for Gary Nelson was he he probably did a lot of his better stuff in the in the late eighties part of his stint with us. So um, maybe in that score, I think I'm not sure when he actually left. In fact, it may have been very early. He was still there. The, that's the, the the playoff season because he scored the first goal I ever saw Albion score. So uh, yeah. definitely yeah. that season. So uh, I could possibly could possibly cede that to anybody if uh, if necessary. I'm not sure about Reinhardt to really be in the eleven because um, we've got to go out and win I'm, this I'm game. Happy with Nelson. Um, I think he had dropped a little bit off though, because my memory of the first season I watched is Small and Burn maybe, and I remember one of his books he, I reading that he was pretty bat head off, uh, pretty pissed off about not playing at Wembley when we played there in a play. Yeah, I don't blame him really. But, they uh, played Small and Burn instead. So yeah. Hmm. Having said that, that's a good lineup, isn't it? Small and Burn. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Other player hasn't been mentioned who I actually had on the bench was hmm. uh, um, Robert Codner. Yeah, Codner could play midfield. Just because or... he was around, he was around. I think he was around for quite a long time. I know you could have a mid- midfield or up front, but yeah, I had him. I had He's him the one who anyway. blew hot and cold a lot. Actually, the one I yeah. on the bench, which is the ultimate player who blew hot and cold, was Kurt Nogan. Couldn't score for. Yeah when he first joined then had a brilliant run where he couldn't stop scoring and then stopped scoring completely after that before being yeah I had him I had him on the bench as a, an honorary yeah. mention for his purple patch and Codner as well actually he was on the bench as, for his flexibility um, yeah. yeah Kurt Nogan when he was on fire he was, he was devastatingly good wasn't he um, in the, con- you know, the confines of the division he was in I also had um, Gary on the bench for the same reason that Robin had Mayo you know kind of he just joined at that end of the decade and was obviously yeah. to do a lot for us yeah, well, my, my initial bench would be Perry Digweed, Nicky Bissett, Jeff Minton, Gary O'Reilly, although, of course, had Palace connections as well, Codner, Nogan, and then whichever of Dublin and Chapman that wasn't picked, so Dublin. But I'm um, happy the to only have other, The only other player that I've put in just on, on the bench that I've forgotten to mention, not necessarily up front, is just I've put Ian Culverhouse in because cause he had the best Albion chant of all time. Remember- Okay, so there we have it. I think we've got our teams of the 90s, uh, best and worst. And there's some crackers in there, isn't there? And some absolute stinkers. Um, happy with those teams, guys? I'm not sure happy is the right word. Um, <laughs> yeah, ha- well, happy for the best 11, because I think it is actually, it's a pretty, it's a pretty decent 11, yeah, actually. Players, worst 11, um, yeah, happy in the sense that I think we've managed to unearth the, the yeah, people for it, but unhappy worst. if I ever had to, be subjected to watching them play football or even indeed again. thinking about them ever again <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. i say there was a couple i'd forgotten about that i've now been reminded of and that's not massively yeah positively yeah. impacted my life yeah so fair <laughs> enough <laughs> okay well that concludes today's episode i'm very glad to have had you aboard again robin for this uh, yeah, thank you for having me it's always a pleasure Excellent. Um, just quickly, a couple of notices as well. To mention, as we have done before, we're now on iTunes. So if any of you out there are listening um, and want to, want to go on iTunes, you could rate us. We'd be very appreciative if you could give us a thumbs up 
uh, particularly a five-star review, which would really help boost us up the rankings and get us more noticed, uh, get us more searchable uh, or findable when searched. Um, so we're on Spotify, of course, already. We're also on some other platforms, such as Pocket Casts and others like that. Wherever you find us, please rate us if you can, hit the subscribe button and so on and so forth. We'll be back for another episode in a week or so. In the meantime, stay tuned. Enjoy the sunny weather if you can, if you've got any garden space. And take care. Stand or fall up the Albion. Cheers, boys. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Podcast Network. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.